So again, Bishop Nicholas, my brother, priests and deacons, so many devoted friends and family. Um, just on behalf of myself, on behalf of my brother Tom, on behalf of my mother, on behalf of Tom's wife, Marsha, my dad's siblings, Pam and Rod, and Tracy and Mike, I want to thank you all for being here today. Thank you for the support that you have given to us over the last eight months. It is truly an honor to have so many of you here present with us this morning. It's really a testimony to your love of Jeff and the man that he was. Now, I normally begin a funeral homily by greeting the deceased family and offering my condolences, but that doesn't seem quite appropriate in this case. So in this case, I'll just say this. Have no fear. Have no fear. Death is never easy. But through this entire ordeal, our family has tried to keep one thing at the forefront. That while death inevitably comes to all of us, it does not have the final say. Jesus Christ and his resurrection, his victory over sin and death, they have the final say. And so indeed, we do not mourn as the pagans do. As disciples of Jesus, we can stare death in the eye and make St. Paul's words our own. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So my dear friends, we gather together today to honor a man who loved everyone that he encountered, who always had a kind word for everyone, who was strong yet humble, who sanctified every day just by getting up and going to work, who prayed without ceasing, and who in the final analysis wanted nothing more than for every one of us to make it to heaven. And the man, of course, whom I am speaking of is Jesus Christ. Yes, my brothers and sisters, today's funeral is not really about Jeff, nor is this homily. Rather, today is about Almighty God. We gather together to offer worship to our Almighty Father through, our, through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. And Jeff would not have wanted it any other way. Now, to be sure, I chose to emphasize characteristics of our Lord Jesus that I think Jeff emulated well in this life. But at his core, my dad was a humble man, never seeking the limelight. He would not have wanted today to be about him. He would have wanted it to be about our blessed Lord because, yes, Jeff will in fact be remembered as a devoted husband and father, as a loving brother, a son, and an uncle. But he'll be remembered, no doubt, as the helpful smile in Hy-Vee's aisle. He'll be remembered, certainly, as an avid Oklahoma Sooner fan. And no doubt, for sure, some of my and my brother's happiest memories are just of playing catch with him in our backyard, or perhaps at a baseball field somewhere on, you know, wherever that may be. We'll remember family vacations here and there, or perhaps simply just sitting on the back deck and grilling a steak and drinking a Pepsi with him, or rather he would drink a Pepsi, Tom and I would drink something else. <laughs> but none of that is how he wants to be remembered. How he wants to be remembered 
is as as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. The most important gift that my dad gave to our family was the gift of our faith. So often he would say that all he wants is to make it to heaven, and that we have to work hard to make sure that we get there too. Jeff would often pray when he was down on his knees putting ice cream on a shelf at Hy-Vee. He would pray when he was driving his riding lawnmower around our backyard, around a statue of the Blessed Mother. He had a particular devotion to St. Michael the Archangel, never being without his medal of St. Michael, and frequently, especially in his last months on earth, praying the chaplet of St. Michael that many of you joined us for last night. He also loved the Blessed Virgin Mary and frequently prayed the Holy Rosary. He often bemoaned the state of things in the world today, but in the basement of our house near uh, this treadmill where my dad would walk sometimes, he hung up a sign quoting the words of the Blessed Virgin Mary in one of her apparitions at Fatima, particularly the one on July 13, 1917, when she appeared at Fatima, Portugal, and said, and Jeff had this hung up where he would see it every day, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. Yes, Jeff intimately loved the Lord, and he loved the things of the Lord. And I think that's because he was so aware of his own weaknesses and failings. Jeff was a practicing Catholic, and I mean that in two senses. First, as I have certainly already tried to outline, his Catholic faith was the defining characteristic of who he was. But second, he knew that he hadn't quite gotten it right, and he needed, in every sense, to practice. He realized how desperately he needed a savior because it's the sick person who needs the physician. And so it's in that vein that I want to thank God for the gift of my dad's cancer. When I was told that he had terminal cancer, when Jeff was told, rather, that he had terminal cancer, the first thing that he did was go to confession to one of my brother priests in Denver as he was on vacation in Denver. He spent many hours in an adoration chapel at Our Lady of Loretto Parish near Tom and Marsh's home. And in fact, there's a, a beautiful picture of him in that chapel, praying to our Lord in the Holy Eucharist, taken just a few short days after his diagnosis of glioblastoma. When told that he only had a few months left to live, Jeff went where he had spent so many hours previously, and that was to the foot of our Lord. He humbly embraced the cross that Jesus offered to him, knowing that the cross of Christ always leads to life when it's united with him. I added this little part yesterday because I found out that these guys right here, a lot of my students from Kemper, were going to be here today. Um, To you guys personally, I, I can't even begin to tell you how humbled I am by that. I can't even begin to put into words how honored I am that you would come. And maybe you just wanted to get out of school, I don't know. But you're here, and that means an awful lot to me. Now, a number of these students were with me on a retreat about a week after I learned of my dad's illness. And I happened to be giving to them a talk called Obstacles. Now, I don't remember a lot of what I said in that talk, but I do know how I began. And I remember that I began it by saying if I had given this talk even one week ago, it would have been very different. 
And I remember how I ended it. I ended it by saying my dad's terminal cancer is the greatest gift that God has ever given to our family. Now, little confession to you guys, when I said that, I didn't really mean it. Now, I wanted to, but in my heart, I knew, I'm like, okay, maybe it'll get to that point, but right now, I'm not there yet, but I think I'm supposed to say this to you. And in fact, I was. Because in the months since, I can say yes, without a doubt, dad's cancer has truly been the greatest gift that God could give to him and to our family because he allowed us just a tiny little share in his cross, and thus ultimately, hopefully, a share in his resurrection. It is only those who suffer and die with the Lord who take up our own crosses daily, who can claim to rise with Christ. Indeed, a disciple of our Lord should expect to suffer, because our Lord suffered and no one is greater than the Master. But when united with Christ, suffering and death always, always, always lead to life. I can honestly say that while dad has always been a disciple, his faith grew exponentially over the last eight months. Now certainly being faced with his own mortality, or perhaps we might say his own immortality, has a way of doing that, of causing us to grow in the interior life. But I actually don't think it was the fear of his own pending judgment that was driving his growth in holiness and devotion over these last eight months. Rather, it was having a deeper sense of appreciation for the cross that our Lord carried. It was having a deeper sense of appreciation for that act of redemption that he undertook. There's a tradition in the church where the father of a priest is buried with the stole that his son used to hear his first confession. Now, the reason, I, I don't know why, but the reason that I've always been told is because the father is a symbol of discipline in the family. And the, the confession stole is likewise a symbol of discipline in the church. And again, I don't know if that's why we do that, but it, it's as good a reason as any. And yes, dad could discipline us. He oftentimes would. You guys, you all knew him, right, as that helpful smile. But if Tom or I disrespected him or my mother, if we neglected some of our responsibilities, he would be sure that we understood that we had been mistaken, that we had erred. I remember one time, you guys might close your ears here for a second, but at least tell your principals to, to like, close your ears. Once upon a time, true story, I cheated on a paper in high school, and my dad found out, and he suspended me from the basketball team. It wasn't my coach. My dad told me, okay, basketball season's over. Why? Because I had messed up. But here's the thing. The stole, that confessional stole, it in some sense speaks to the suffering that Christ endured. It's the suffering that he allowed Jeff just a tiny sip of from that cup. It was that suffering and death on the cross that won our salvation. The graces of which are poured out on us every single time we humble ourselves and every single time we approach our Lord in the font of mercy, of reconciliation. And so, many people said to us, and, and don't feel bad if you said this, well, I just hope he doesn't suffer. I was the opposite. I hope he did. I know that might sound countercultural. That might sound crazy. But that suffering is a way to unite himself to Christ. 
That suffering is a way to enhance his merit in heaven and ultimately his heavenly reward. But again, in the midst of suffering, Jeff was humble. He knew how desperately he needed God's grace and mercy in his own life. Hence why I chose to wear these black vestments today. Once upon a time, my dad and I were talking about death. I I couldn't tell you when this was, but I, I distinctly remember having this conversation with him. And I mentioned that when I die, I would like black vestments to be worn at my funeral. Not because I despair of God's love or the hope of salvation found in Christ, but rather because I know my own sinfulness and my own weakness. I shared that with my dad, and he piped up and he said, yeah, I want that too. And so at some point, we all, to one degree or another, succumb to human weakness. Jeff was aware of this reality, not in the sense of despair, but in the sense of a profound humility before the Lord, to realize that God was God and he was not, that he desperately needed a Savior, and that aside from the grace of our Lord, he would be lost. These black vestments today remind us of our sins and weaknesses and the importance of praying for Jeff, that, to quote a line from the funeral liturgy, should any stain of sin have clung to him, that it would be cleansed and wiped away. In in Jeff's mind, and in my mind, these black vestments don't betray a lack of hope and salvation, or even a morbid focus on our own depravity. Rather, in his mind, they signify a humility, that before God, we are all broken, We are all in need of a a Savior, and we are all in need of a Redeemer. But as I said at the outset of this homily, today is not about Jeff. It's about Jesus. Jeff believed with all his heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that his name every knee must bend and every tongue must confess. I firmly believe that he was able to be so friendly to people, so kind and so warm, because he knew the mercy and the love of the Father. He could see the face of Christ in every single person he encountered. Though I can never say for sure, because I am not God, I have every confidence that he died in a state of grace. And if not already, will soon be with the Lord in heaven. But nonetheless, we, all of us, have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to carry on his legacy of genuine kindness, yes, but more than that, a responsibility to follow in his footsteps of discipleship. A year ago, I never would have imagined that I'd be here giving this funeral homily today, but that's how death is. It comes, as our Lord says, like a thief in the night. None of us know the day or the hour when we each must stand before Christ and render an account of our own life. So don't delay. If you're not in a good relationship with the Lord, in Jeff's honor, get there today. One of my favorite sayings that he would frequently say to Tom and me when we didn't want to clean our room, when we didn't want to walk the dog, when we didn't want to mow the grass, when we didn't want to do our homework, when we just wanted to play video games or sleep or whatever, He would always say, there's no time like the present. There's no time like the present. Truly, there is no time like the present to follow after the master. Jeff did that. 
And I truly believe that it brought him a deep joy in this life. And please, God, I hope and pray a joy in the next life that will never end. Again, on behalf of our family, I want to thank you for being here today to commend my dad to the mercy of Almighty God, to pray him into heaven if he's not there yet, but most of all, to offer worship to our God, before whom, again, every knee must bend, every tongue must confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord.